and it's uh, in your bulletin. You pull out your notes, and it's, it's maintaining moral purity in a progressively immoral world. And, uh, and so as Americans, I mean, we, we're kind of concerned about purity in a lot of ways. We're, we're real worried about pure water and pure air, so much so that they want us to run around in battery-powered cars. I mean, you know, at some point, we're going to have to figure out what to do with the batteries, right? But, uh, you know, but we're real worried about that. And, and uh, we're trying to clean up the air and all kind of regulations on that. And I'm all for that. I want to breathe clean air. Uh, I want to drink clean water. Uh, we're real concerned with purity of our food. I mean, we don't want chickens that, don't, that have um, steroids in them or antibiotics in them and stuff like that. Or we don't want vegetables that have had... Uh, different sprays put on them. We want everything to be uh, organic and pure. So there's a lot on that, but there's an area that we don't seem to be very concerned about. about we're not concerned about purity when it comes to our minds, when it comes to our lives. And, and so in a culture that's, that's gone crazy about purity, about different things, we don't seem concerned at all about what goes into our minds, the purity of our morals, as a matter of fact, most of us will let anything into our minds. I mean, think about it. We, we, we watch TV shows or movies regardless of how perverted the show is. Might just be, oh, but, oh, but Pastor, there's just one part. Just one part that was bad. You know, the, the other 99% was good. I mean, we'll, we'll let all kinds of things into our mind. It used to be also that you had to go to an adult bookstore to see pornography. Now, you see it in the mall. You see it on TV, you see it on your phone, uh, you see it on signs on the side of the road. I mean, it's, a, it's crazy, and as a result of the bombardment of immorality, we've got more and more babies being born out of wedlock. We've got abortions. We've got a matter of fact, we've got a big abortion thing going on right now. The Supreme Court has been hearing today a landmark case that could possibly overturn Roe versus Wade. I've been doing a happy dance all day long. I mean, matter of fact, let's stop and pray for that right now. Lord, I just pray right now for these Supreme Court justices, Lord, that you will give them the moral courage to rule in favor of life and, uh, and Lord, for your truth. And so, God, we just lift them up, God. I pray for the church that will rise up and help women who are having babies and help them find families and help them raise those children in Jesus' name. Amen. And so there's all kinds of you got kids growing up with no supervision. And, uh, and, and, and because of what's going on, there's about 20% of the American population, of 20% of, or maybe 25% of 300 million people have some form of sexually transmitted disease. So, I mean, go figure. You know, and that's the way our culture is. But the Bible has something different to say. And I want you to listen to what Paul said to the Thessalonians about how he wants us to live. He said, God wants you to be holy and pure. Holy is to be set aside, set apart, to be different. And he wants us to be pure and to keep clear of all sexual sin so that you will marry in holiness and honor, not in lustful passions, as the heathen do, in their ignorance of God and his ways. So he's called us out to be holy and pure. And then he goes on and he said, This is also God's will, that you never cheat in this matter by taking another man's wife, because the Lord will punish you terribly for this, as we have solemnly told you before. For God has not called us to be dirty-minded and full of lust, but to be holy and clean. God wants us to live holy and clean lives, not only in our thoughts and our actions. And so, you know, as I read this passage, though, 
as I talk to people uh, around and about, especially young people, I wonder, is it possible to do that? Is it possible to live a clean life? Is it possible to live a holy and, uh, and clean life in this culture? I want to tell you, I think you can. Let me give you an example. Uh, we've got people in our church like to go fishing. I used to fish a lot. I hadn't fished in a long time. But you can go saltwater fishing. And you can go catch a fish that has lived its entire life in salt water. And if you cut that thing up and you cook it, guess what you've got to put on it to give it some flavor? Salt. You see, it's been insulated from salt. Let me tell you, the same God that insulated that fish from the salt that it lived in can insulate you and me from the culture that we live in. So God can keep our minds pure in a polluted world. Now, the answer... I don't think it's to leave the world. You know, throughout history, you've had people just withdraw from the world. God, you know, when you got saved, God left you here for a reason. I mean, if it was just to get saved and leave, he just said, okay, Robert, I'm beaming you out of here, you know. And, and, but he didn't do that. He's left us here for a reason. And, uh, and so, uh, and that's to help other people find the Lord. So we don't need to isolate from the world. We need to insulate from the world. And, uh, and so we want to look at tonight how to stay pure in a polluted culture. And, uh, and we're going to look at some steps or, or principles you can use to however you want to say it. But the first step is this. I want you to write these down. You've got to make a commitment to God's standards. First of all, you've got to decide that I'm going to live by God's standards. I'm going to live by God's standards. The Bible asks a question in Psalm 119. It says this, how can a young man or an old man or a young woman or an older woman, well, there are no older women, or a young woman or a young woman, keep their way pure. How can they do that? By living according to your word, God. You see, we've got to live according to God's word. So we've got to answer the question, am I more committed to what God says, uh, you know, will meet my needs, or am I more committed to what I think will meet my needs? Am I going to be listening to what God says, or am I going to be listening to what, how I feel? You know, what's, what's your standard of authority going to be? And we talked about that in the very first value series. What are we going to base our life on? Our standards. And, uh, and, so, and, and God's got a lot in His Word that He talks about that's not easy. It, it, you know, God's standard about sex and morality is very clear. It hasn't changed. And let me tell you folks, it's not going to change. He's very clear about that. Now what does he, why, why, does he, why does He say these things about morals and sex? Because He loves you and me and He knows uh, He knows that that when we abuse our morality, when we abuse sex, we cannot do what he's called us to do. It prevents us from being able to fulfill his purpose. He knows what's good. He knows what's good for us. And he wants us to have good things. So we've got to decide that we're going to commit to doing what the Bible says. It's not always easy. Even if we don't understand it, even if it's not popular, you'll have people make fun of you. You'll have people try and pull you back. I don't know if you've ever been crabbing, but you don't even have to have a lid on the crab bucket. Why? Because whenever one crab tries to get out of the group, the others pull him back. It's the same way in life. When you start trying to live for God, the ones that aren't are going to try and pull you back. And so I want to tell you, we've got to decide that we're going to live it God's way. Now listen, I don't want you to think God's against sex. Sex was God's idea. He invented it. And, and he designed it for a purpose. He designed it for marriage between a man and a woman, a husband and a wife. Not two men, not two women, not somebody that's confused about it, but between a man and a woman. And, he, and that's what he's designed it for. 
and, uh, and, and so he's put some parameters around it. And so let me just give you some that in general that the Bible teaches. One, sex is more than a physical act. That's why it has a profound consequence. It's a, it's a spiritual act. It's got spiritual consequences. It's got emotional consequences. It's got social consequences. It's got financial consequences, legal consequences, but it's got consequences that impact your whole life. And if it were just physical, it'd be like a handshake. It's way more than physical. Sex is also exclusively for a husband and a wife in a committed marriage. And God gave that to a husband and wife uh, for pleasure, for procreation, and spiritual bonding. And, and so it's, it's for committed. And, and he also, the Bible teaches very clearly that any use outside these boundaries, before or outside marriage, causes all sorts of spiritual, emotional, and even physical consequences. It does. So why does God say these things? One, like I said before, he knows what's good. He knows what's good for us. And he wants to protect us. Listen, I want you to understand something about the Bible. Anytime the Bible says don't do this but do this, it's trying to protect you from something that's going to harm you or mess up your life and provide something good for you. So, you know, he's, he's saying that he's wanting to protect you from something and provide something better. Think about an off-ramp. You know, how about, you know, if you're driving down the interstate and you want to get off this ramp, but it says the ramp is closed, do you think, well, this ramp, man, it's infringing on my rights. It's keeping me from having a good time. Or do you think, well, maybe there's some road work going on and I don't need to go down that ramp and it's protecting me from something. Kind of reminds me of Boudreaux and Thibodeau one time. Boudreaux and Thibodeau were standing out in front of the front yard and, and this car came flying down the highway. They saw him, said they held up a sign. Said the end is near. And the guy, guy blew his horn and yelled at him and said, y'all religious nuts, y'all trying to keep me, you know, from driving fast and having a good time. And all of a sudden they heard the crash down the road. Boudreaux looked at Thibodeau and said, you reckon maybe we ought to just say bridge out? <laughs> See, we got to determine. We've got to make a decision. If we're going to listen to God. See, God laid rules out for our own good. And when you play by them, you win. And when you don't, you suffer. And so sex is God's gift, but all gifts have to be controlled. I mean, think about it. Water can either satisfy you or drown you, right? I mean, it can do one of the two. Fire can either warm you or burn you up. Uh, you know, so you've got to decide. I mean, uh, you know, can you get burned by sex? Absolutely you can. It's not bad. It's not dirty. It's a gift God gave. It's spiritual and holy, and it's to be used as God said it's to be used between a husband and a wife. So I think each person needs to draw a line in the sand and say, I'm going to live, I'm making a commitment to moral purity. And, uh, and, and once you do that, you can go on to step two. Step two is this, manage your thoughts. Write it down. Manage your thoughts. Listen, every temptation begins right up here. Joyce Myers wrote a book, you know, uh, about your battlefield of your mind. Other people have, people have written books about your mind and and so the battle is either won or lost right up here in your mind. Look what Solomon said. He said, had a couple of things about this. He said, be careful what you think because your thoughts run your life. What you're thinking about is the direction you're going to go. And so he said, be careful what you think. And then he says in, in chapter 23, verse 19, he said, listen, my child, and be wise. You want to be wise? He said this, keep your mind on what's right. So you want to be wise, you've got to keep your mind focused on what's right. People say, well, that's not very open-minded. Listen, open-minded people get their head filled with trash. Some of y'all need to close your minds up, you know. And, uh, and so you've got to manage your thoughts. So while we're talking about that, let's look at kind of the flow of how immorality happens. 
So how does it happen? Well, anytime you see somebody messing up their life, it didn't begin with the actions that you're observing. It began way back with some thoughts. You see, they were thinking dumb thoughts before they started doing dumb things. They were thinking dumb thoughts before they started doing dumb things. See, the way it works is the way you think determines how you feel, and, and the way you feel determines your actions. And so you start thinking dumb thoughts, you start feeling things, and emotions produce actions, and all of a sudden you're, you're into actions. If you want to break a habit or change your actions, you don't try and change your action. You, you attack it at the root. You change your thoughts. Matter of fact, God says this. It's not in your notes, but you might want to write it down. Control your thoughts. Control your life. Control your thoughts. Control your life. That should have been a slide, but control your thoughts. Control your life. It's important because when you control them, you, you focus the way you're going. Affairs don't just happen. There's a process. A man doesn't come home uh, from work and say, well, I fell into an affair. A woman doesn't come home and say, well, I fell into an affair. A guy doesn't come home from a bar and say, well, I fell into a sexual uh, encounter. You know I mean? It, they don't just happen. There's a process. And I want to just kind of maybe give you a little rundown of how it goes. And, and so first, and this can go with addiction. It can go with sexual immorality. It can go with any habits that we're fighting. Number one is you begin to accept sinful thoughts in your mind. You accept sinful thoughts. Well, one, I didn't have one drink. I do it just once. I, you know, you start imagining, you know, yourself with maybe somebody. Would it be really wrong? Did God really say on that adultery thing? Did God really say? That's the same thing he pulled on Eve, right? Did God really say? Yeah, what would it be like to be with that person or married to that person or, or to have that one drink and, and have a little bit of fun? I mean, you know, listen. When you're, when you're thinking about that, when you're thinking crazy thoughts at work and, and stuff like that, just remember you're seeing them at their best. You're not seeing them when, when their hair's all crooked and their breath smells really bad and, 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 and they won't take out the garbage for you or whatever it is. You're not seeing them at that. You're seeing them at their best. And so you may think it's harmless, but thoughts produce feelings and feelings produce actions. Secondly, you begin to have an emotional, non-physical involvement with them. It's called flirting. Start flirting. Then thirdly, you begin physical involvement go from flirting to some kind of physical involvement. And the fourth thing you do is you begin to rationalize. Well, we're adults. It's okay. Everybody's doing this. I mean, you know, hey, it's not wrong, right? That's what you're thinking. Paul said this to Timothy, 2 Timothy 2.22. He said, run, run from anything that stimulates youthful lusts. Folks, let me tell you, you don't sit there and just try and tough it out and think you're going to resist. You run. Instead, pursue righteous living, faithfulness, love, and peace. Enjoy the companionship of those who call on the Lord with pure hearts. You run from that temptation to people who are going the same direction you're going. You run from that temptation, whether it's to drink, whether it's to have an affair or whatever, to godly people who are going in the direction that you want to go. See, Paul says, turn and run away from temptation. Long before you act on it, you were thinking bad thoughts. Paul says run, and that means you have a choice. You can choose. You don't have to keep giving in to temptation. It's not a sin to be tempted. It is a sin to give in to temptation. So how do you break it? You don't break it by resisting it. I mean, listen, if you're trying to, if you're trying to lose a little weight, you don't sit there and look at the big old piece of that cake up there and think, I'm not going to eat it. Or you don't go look at, 
my homemade ice cream, you know, that we make and go, I'm not going to eat a bowl of that because you're going to lose, right? I mean, you don't sit there and tough it out. Uh, you, you, you break it uh, in a different way. So you do it by this. You replace and you refocus. You got to turn away from it and turn towards something else. Uh, you know, because whatever gets your attention gets you. You see, you replace and you refocus because whatever gets your attention gets you. So the key to getting over temptation, to breaking its hold on you, is to turn away from it and focus on something else. Jay Kessler in his book, Being Holy, Being Human, does a thing he calls contextualization. And he, 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 was, uh, he tells a story. He was on an airplane, and he was sitting next to a young girl, very pretty, and he was the president of Taylor University, a Christian school. And, uh, and he was also the president of Youth for Christ. And, uh, and this girl, they're talking, and, and uh, she had been jilted. Uh, her, she, found, well, she broke off a marriage at the altar because she found out her fiancé had had sex with a hooker the night before or a stripper or whatever. And, uh, and so she felt very violated, and she'd set out, and she told him. She said, I'm going to have sex with somebody just to get even. And she said, do you want to have sex with me? And, and, and here's, here's what I mean by contextualization. He said, first of all, I didn't want to disappoint God. That's got to be first. Second of all, she's about the age of my daughter. He said that took all the temptation right out of it. You put it in context. You, you take practical things. You replace and you refocus. Instead of focusing on that temptation, you focus on this is somebody's daughter, this is somebody's sister, this is somebody's brother. You know, you don't think, well, my husband's a chunk and this guy's a hunk. I mean, you start focusing on something else. I mean, you know, uh, so you've got to turn away from it. You might have to run away like Potiphar. When Potiphar's wife was getting after Joseph, Joseph took off. He got out of there. You might need to change a job. You might need to change locations. Whatever it is, you've got to uh, replace and refocus. A practical way to do this is number three, monitor your media intake. Monitor your media intake. I mean, you shouldn't just let anything come into your mind. We let all kinds of things come into our mind. Eat, you can't eat. Disney's no longer safe. Hallmark's not even safe anymore. You've got you've to watch it. And, uh, and, and so uh, and the Bible says a wise person is hungry for knowledge while the fool feeds on trash. Folks, we've got to stop letting trash into our brains. We've got to stop feeding on trash. What you feed your mind is as important as what you feed your body. And your body's not going to be healthy on junk food. Neither will your spirit, your mind, your emotions be, be healthy on junk. You've got to stop eating junk in your mind. So let me ask you tonight, are you allowing junk in your mind? Do, do you only allow, or do you only allow godly material in your mind? And don't try and tell me, oh, stuff doesn't affect me. Are y'all kidding me? I watch Black Hawk Down and I'm ready to go shoot up Somalia. I mean, I, I used to love these war movies. You know, and I'm, I'm, ready to, I'm ready to have a gun in each hand. You know, I'm like Sylvester Stallone. I'm, I'm ready to roll, you know. It affects you. If it didn't, they wouldn't spend millions on commercials. Don't let junk in your mind. The average American watches about 7 to 10 hours of TV a day. Throw in some social media, and it gets on up there even higher than that. And, uh, and by the time a kid finishes high school, he's going to spend 18,000 hours with a TV and 12,000 hours at school. That's kind of backwards, isn't it? He's going to have been exposed to visual input of over 14,000 sexual encounters each year. 
By the time he reaches 18, he would have seen over 100,000 sexual liaisons portrayed on TV, Internet, and in movies. That he's seen that many sexual things. Uh, TV Guide said over the course of the year, you'll see on TV 14,000 plus incidents of sex, 23,000 plus uses of profanities, higher than that now. This is a couple years old. Over 8,000 incidents of violence. And here's the clincher. 91% of all the... The sex that you see on TV is outside of marriage. So it's just tearing down the morals. TV, social media the biggest are the biggest sources of sex miseducation there ever has been. Here's what it does. It never shows the consequence. Remember the Marlboro Man? They didn't show him dying of lung cancer. They don't ever show the consequences. It's called brainwashing. It's amazing what we'll allow into our lives through the media. I mean, think about it. Bed hopping's portrayed as, a, as an indoor sport. I mean, think about some of the TV shows, Friends. My goodness, I don't have to say anything else. I mean, that's why, that's why we've got babies and abortions, all kinds of stuff going on. See, here's what happens. The movies lower your resistance to sin. Social media lowers your resistance to sin. How do they do that? They glamorize sin. You watch some of these movies, you'll be pulling for the guy that's trying to break up the marriage. Y'all know I'm right. They'll, they'll paint that guy as the good guy or the good girl, and they're breaking up. The, I mean, they'll, they glamorize sin, and they imply everybody's doing it. They never show the consequences, and here's the kicker. They get you to laugh at sin. They'll get you to laugh at it. And it takes your guard down. And it just numbs you to that. And so let me just say, listen. You may have fallen for all that, regardless of your past. I don't want you to think, you know, I'm getting on you. You can, you can say, hey, look, I've messed up. I've messed up. I want to be pure from this day on. You can make that, that commitment. Some of y'all have made that commitment. I know that. So you make, and here's how you do it. You make a commitment to God's standards. You manage your thoughts and you monitor your media intake. A couple of verses that will help. The psalmist in Psalm 119 says this, Keep me from paying attention to what is worthless. I love that. Keep me from paying attention to what is worthless. Be good to me as you have promised. He said in 101.3, I will refuse to look on anything vile and vulgar. Man, that, we ought to all make that commitment. I'm not going to look at anything that's vile and vulgar. And uh, he says, I will hate. I'll have nothing to do with them. And so we've got to do that. Number four, write this down. You've got to minimize the opportunity for temptation. You've got to minimize the opportunity for temptation. This means you don't put yourself in a situation where you're going to be tempted. So if you don't want to be stung, what do you stay away from bees, right? If you don't want to be burned, you stay away from fire. If you've got a problem with alcohol, you don't walk into a bar. If you've got a problem with lust, you don't go in a strip joint. You ought not to go in one of those anyway. But, I mean, you know... You, you, don't, you don't do any of that. If you've ga- you got a struggle with gambling, you don't go where you hear that little one-armed bandit going off because it triggers you. You don't do that. You minimize the opportunity uh, for, for, for temptation. Everybody laughed. I, I remember when Mike Pence became vice president, and he said, I'm not going to be in a meeting with another woman without somebody else being there. And everybody laughed. Oh, he's terrible. Yeah, you know, he's a... He's a right wing, holy roller, whatever, you know, and all that stuff. And, uh, and, and you know, I mean, he, he might be a holy roller, but I don't know about y'all, but I've been made holy by the blood of Christ, and my name's on the roll. So we, 
we're all holy rollers, but, but, but he was just quoting something that Billy Graham made a practice of. Larry King one time asked Billy Graham, said, are you really worried about a woman coming on to you? He said, no, I'm worried about me. <laughs> he was about 85 when he answered that question. You know, but, but here's the thing. You, put, you, you do what it takes. You minimize the opportunity for temptation. You reckon, and here's how you do it. Number one, recognize the kind of tempta- situations that tempt you. Recognize the kinds of temptations that tempt you. What, what stimulates you? What, what gets you to thinking in the wrong manner? Paul said in the Corinthians, he said this, be careful if you're thinking, oh, I would never be, behave like that. He said, let this be a warning for you may too fall into sin. When I was in seminary, the guys I would see that would fall, have a fall, in seminary would be the guys that say, I would never do that. Let me tell you something. You better have the attitude without the grace of God, the power of God in my life, I'd be every bit as bad as any one of them because we would without the power of God in our life. But you've gotta, you can't say, oh, I would never do that. Listen, we've got to be alert. We've got to be wise. We've got to be aware. We've got to stay away from bees and stay away from fire because you will get burned. If you play with fire. So you need to know the early warning signs so you can bail out. You, you need to know the kinds of situations so you can bail out. I mean, there's a myth that people say, oh, I would never give in to anything immoral. Who are you kidding? The truth is no one is immune given the right circumstances. There's been a number of pastors over the last few years, big TV pastors, ministers, that have had moral failures. They didn't start out to have moral failures. They started out doing good ministry, but they got their eyes away from where they needed to be, and they didn't take the, the precautions they needed to take. It's like business travel is a great threat. I mean, Satan works on people when they're out of town. Like, who's going to know? You know? Uh, you know? And, uh, but let me just tell you, God knows. God knows. So recognize the kind of situations that tempt you. Number two, choose your friends carefully. Choose your friends carefully. He said, hey, you got to run from this and start hanging around with people who are going in the same direction you are. Look what Paul said to 1 Corinthians 15, 33. He said, bad company corrupts good character every time. I've seen so many girls, and it's funny. They think, oh, Pastor Robert, I'm going to be different. I'm going to win this slime ball. I'm going to pull him out of the gutter, and then pretty soon she's in the gutter with him. And, and, and it, it's just like, look, if I'm standing here and you're down there, is it easier for me to pull you up or you pull me down? You pull me down a lot easier not to pull you up. Bad company corrupts good character. It's important who your core group of friends are and who you're, who you're hanging around with. Uh, and so you, you better understand that. Make your closest friends. Make sure they're committed to the Lord. And if they're married friends, they're committed to their marriage. Married couples, married parts of a couple, you don't need to be running around with a bunch of single women or a bunch of single men as your friends thinking that you, you're married. There's a difference. You don't need, I, I don't run around with a bunch of guys doing guy things that I did when I was single. Pastor Kathy doesn't do that either. She's in jail most of the time. So I mean. <laughs> Choose your friends carefully. Number three, establish guardrails. Put up some guardrails. That's what Mike Pence did. He said, I'm not going to be alone with a woman in a meeting. Now, you know, when you're the vice president, you're meeting like with 
somebody important like that, you're probably not in the meeting room by yourself anyway. <laughs> so, but, but he's just saying, hey, look, I'm going I'm to live a moral life. I'm telling you publicly. I'm going to live a moral life. And so you've got to put up some protective guidelines. These are common sense rules of something you're not going to do. Look, Paul said, but among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality. Or any kind of impurity or greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Set yourself some practical standards or guardrails that you're not going to cross. Like you're, you're not going to ride with another woman that's not your wife by yourself. I remember when I first went to work at a church, it was me and, and two other people left in the building. And I'm leaving the same time this lady was. My car was in the shop about a mile away. And I said, can I have a ride? I wasn't even thinking. And she said, no, we have a rule against us. I said, oh, man, I'm sorry I even asked you. It's 45 degrees. I'm walking a mile to go get my car from the shop, you know. And, uh, and, and, you know, but you don't put yourself in those situations. You establish those guardrails. You know, you, you don't go to lunches alone or, or whatever. Or if you do, you let your spouse know what's going on. If you're married, guys, I'm fixing to give you a tip. This one we all got to get better at. Maintain your marriage. Maintain your marriage. A healthy relationship with your spouse is the best protection of an affair and it reduces any temptation of adultery or attraction of it. It also reduces any ideas that somebody's going to talk about you. A friend of mine uh, who was a professor of mine in seminary, uh, was, he was funny, but he, uh, when he was a young pastor, uh, he was uh, called, he was at a church, and, and uh, sister, I'm going to call her Sister Edwina, I don't remember her actual name, Sister Edwina in the, in the Baptist church that he was at called him and said, uh, Pastor said, uh, Sister, uh, we'll call her June, is, is having, I, I don't know what's wrong with her. I know she's been sick and she's not answering her phone. Could you go check on her? I'm going to meet you over there. And so he goes over to her house and he beats Sister Edwina there, but he goes up on the porch and he knocks on the door and, and Sister June, is that what I called her? Uh, she comes to the door in a towel. And, and she passes out. The towel hits the ground, and she's naked in his arms on the front porch as Sister Edwina pulls up. Nobody ever mentioned anything about it. Nobody ever accused him of anything. Why? Because they'd seen him and his wife. They'd seen the relationship him and his wife had. And, and, and so, you know, it, and she was having a diabetic shock. Would have died if they hadn't gotten it, just so you know. She was in a diabetic coma and hospitals, people came and, and all that. We're also talking, it was probably in the 60s, 70s. Listen, Ecclesiastes 9.9, Solomon said, enjoy life with your wife. Ladies, enjoy life with your husband whom you love. See, God wants you to enjoy life with your spouse. He wants you to enjoy each other, not endure, not endure each other. Pastor Kathy and I have a good time. We're partners in crime in a lot of different ways. And uh, we, like, we like to do things together, we, we, whether it's working stuff or whatever. You know, but people open themselves up to temptation oftentimes because when they get married, they stop dating. And, 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 and dating may change, you know, but, but don't stop. See, here's, here's what, what happens. A guy is kind of a hunter kind of guy. I know some of y'all girls are hunting, but... But guys are kind of hunters, and, and, you know, when we're on the hunt, we'll read poetry. We'll watch Pride and Prejudice, all six episodes of it. And, and uh, you know, stuff that no man would normally do. 
to win her over. And then when you win her and you marry her, mission's accomplished, right? Check mark. And so now you're on to the new mission. And most of the time that's providing for. It's provision. And, 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 and so the woman's going, wait a minute, all, he, t- he just took all that energy he was chasing me with. He's putting it in his job. It's kind of a bait and switch. She's going, what happened? He used to be romantic. He used to, he used to watch Pride and Prejudice. Now all he wants to do is watch football. I mean, you know, and it, now he's thinking the same thing. He's going, before the kids came along, she couldn't keep her hands off of me. Now she got a headache all the time. I mean, you know, it's like, you know, it, we're, I'm too busy. I'm too tired, what, whatever. And so, you know, we stop dating. We got to keep dating. You got to keep having fun. Got to keep having fun with each other. Do you enjoy your spouse? I do. Are, are you fun to live with? Well, maybe not, not always, but, you know. Husbands, we've got to get better at being fun to live with. We've got to get better at non-sexual affection as well. Listen, some of you guys, get ready to write this down. It's going to be your favorite verse in the Bible, 1 Corinthians 7, 3. The husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs, and the wife fulfill her husband's needs. I know, guys, that just became your favorite verse, right? He goes on to say in verse 5... <laughs> He goes on in verse 5, do not deprive each other of sexual relations unless you both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time so you can give yourselves more completely to prayer. Afterward, you should come together again so Satan won't be able to tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Married couples, your physical relationship has a lot to do. It's intertwined with your spiritual relationship, and you need to keep that healthy. Now, here's some tips from some marriage counselors. Kiss every day. Share every day. That's that word. Guys, if you watch uh, Last Man Standing, you know, he said, oh, that will kill me. But guys, it doesn't. Even, even he uh, shares. Share it. Stay committed to your physical relationship in spite of distractions. Your marriage and sexual relationship should be pure uh, and, and should be a priority. Keep physically fit and well green, guys. Take a bath. <laughs> Brush your teeth. It helps. You know, uh, you know just... Uh, keep keep your sexual feelings turned towards home. God, if, if anybody, if you feel it going somewhere else, you need to bring it home. You need to intentionally stay focused. If you got children, keep it scheduled. <laughs> everybody, everybody wants to be spontaneous, but with kids, that's just not happening. All right? And keep it positive. Keep learning how to enjoy each other. That was from a marriage counselor. But we need to maintain our marriage. We need to maintain our relationships. If you may, listen, the grass might look greener on the other side, and yours might not be as green, but if you'll water your own grass, it'll be greener than other guy's grass. If you maintain your marriage, the grass will never look greener anywhere else. So we've got to maintain it. Number six, magnify the consequences of sin. Magnify the consequences of sin. See, I've heard, I've heard a lot, man, so many times I've seen people's lives ripped up by sexual unfaithfulness and relationships and, uh, and, and stuff. I mean, you know, I had a guy in my office one time, his father-in-law was looking for him, you know, because he cheated on his daughter. And, uh, you know, and, and, uh, and he's going, man, I didn't mean to. I didn't mean to. I said, I said what happened? He had an affair with another woman while his wife and her dad were at church. And I said, what could you have done different? I don't know. You could have gone to church with your wife. And then you wouldn't have a father-in-law with a shotgun looking for you. 
You know, and, and, uh, and so, you know, listen. Magnify the consequences of sin. I mean, it has heartache. It rips lives apart. Nothing will damage your emotions like sexual sin. God created you to be men and women, and your sexuality impacts every area of your life. And since it impacts every area of your life, it's not just a physical act. It's a spiritual act that impacts us. Solomon, the wisest man in the world, said this, but a man who commits adultery doesn't have any sins. It's true. Or a woman that commits adultery doesn't have any sins. He's just destroying himself. Listen, the scars don't go away. The shame doesn't go away. The sense of loss affects everybody involved. You'll, and you'll be going, I wish I could go back. I wish I could go back. I wish I could turn back the clock. Listen, it's stupid to throw away your future for a single moment of pleasure. Denver Post did a survey. And it, said, it asked a, a number of adults, if you've had intercourse outside of marriage, what were the results? 57% caught, said it caused tremendous guilt. The other 43% had smoked something before they took the survey, probably, since it's legal in Denver. 63% of the women and 50% of the women said it led to breakup of the relationship. Let me say it again. 63% of the women and 50% of the men said it led to the breakup of a relationship. That is one of the hardest things on a, on a marriage or a relationship when somebody cheats. I've seen it. 42% said they felt used. Solomon said this, for a prostitute will bring you to poverty. The sleeping with another man's wife will cost your life. See, the movies have sensationalized sex, it, it, but they never show the consequences of sin and the lives it destroys. Sex, when it's misused, is a source of all kinds of pain and scars. and Everybody loses. But God wants to spare you this pain. Regardless of what's happened in your past, whether you're watching this or you're in this room, God will give you a new start. Now, I've been married to Kathy for 14 years. We've been dating longer than that. It took me nine years to talk her into it. And, uh, and so I stay faithful, number one, because I love God. Number one, because I love God. He's number one in my life. And I, I want to hear one day, Robert, well done. Number two, I love my wife. I'm in love with my wife. And I, I enjoy being with my wife. And number three, I fear God's judgment. I don't want to step into God's judgment. And one day, every one of us is going to stand in front of God. And we're going to see our lives. We might make it into heaven. But I, don't, I want to hear, well done. And I don't want to hear, man, you really messed it up. See, Hebrews says, marriage should be honored by all. And the marriage bed kept pure. For God will judge the adulterer and all the sexual immorality. He's serious. Don't kid yourself. God will deal with with sexual immorality. He does, he's not going to change his standard. He hasn't changed it yet, and he's not going to change it. Premarital or extramarital, homosexual, whatever kind of sex outside of marriage between a wo man and a woman, uh, whether it's living arrangements, adultery, whatever, pornography, all of that is unacceptable to God. But here's the deal. God's grace will deliver you and heal you and restore you. All you've got to do is make that move. So let me give you the path Back to purity. Here's how it works. Number one, you have to repent. That means I'm going to stop doing what I've been doing. I'm, see, it was everybody else before me that was long. That's why it's late. I'm going to stop doing what I was doing. That's called repentance. It's a U-turn. 
it, 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 you're going to change your mind. You're going to agree with God that his standard is right and I'm wrong. I'm going to stop rationalizing it. I'm going to confess it as sin. A good example is David in Psalm 51. He said this after his sin with Bathsheba. He said, have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love. Because of your great compassion, blot out my, the stain of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin, for I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I've done what is evil in your sight, and you will be proved right in what you say. Your judgment against me is just, for I was born a sinner. Yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. You desire honesty from the womb, teaching me wisdom even there. Purify me from my sins, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I'll be whiter than snow. Oh, give me back my joy again. You have broken me, now let me rejoice. David was broken after his sin with Bathsheba. He said, don't keep looking at my sins. God, remove the stain of my guilt. Then he said this, create in me a clean heart, oh God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. You can pray that today as part of that repentance, and God will change you. Now listen, I don't want you to wait. I want you to do it. Do it right now. Pastor Kathy and I do weddings. Just want you to know. Receive part of repentance. Sex is for marriage. Receive God's forgiveness. Listen, God's waiting on you to turn to him. He wants to forgive you. But what, what God doesn't forgive is when I say, okay, God, I'm sorry I did that, and I just keep right on doing it. I've got no intent of changing. He wants me to say, God, I agree with you that what I'm doing is sin. What I'm doing is making you want to throw up. What I'm doing is destroying my life. God, I'm going to change. And he said, Robert, I'm going to forgive you. I'm going to give you the desire to do what I want you to do. I'm going to give you the power to do it. And I'm going to make arrangements for it. Receive God's forgiveness. Psalm 32, 1 through 5, David said this, Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight. yes. What joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of guilt, whose lives are lived in complete honesty. That's a good thing right there. When you've been forgiven, it feels good. It's good to get that weight off of you. But look what he says. When I refuse to confess my sin, my body wasted away. I groaned all day, day and night. Your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. Then he said, finally, I confessed my sins to you and I stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord and you forgave me. All my guilt is gone. I tell you, it's good to be forgiven. It's good to be forgiven. And, and that's what happens when God forgives you. He sets you free from that guilt. He sets you free from that shame. You can be released from that. You can be released from past regrets. and You can forgive yourself. Number three. I said this earlier, but I want to say it again. Refocus and replace. You see, refocus and replace. You've got to make a commitment to live morally pure the rest of your life. You, you've, got to, you've, got to, you've got to make a commitment. I'm going to leave that sin, and I'm going to follow God. I'm going to, I'm going to quit this, and I'm going to do this. Number four, request help every day. Request help every day. Commit your life to Jesus. Ask him to help you manage this, this drive that he's given you. Listen, he gave us uh, sex. He gave us a sex drive. He gave it to us for a husband and a wife. 
See, 1 Corinthians, Paul said this, the temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. He would not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. Listen, you might be facing a temptation, whether it's a sexual sin, an addiction, or whatever it is, that you think you can't, can't handle. He said he won't allow you to face temptation more than you can stand. When you're tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. You just got to look for the way out. You got to be open to the way out. And in Philippians, Paul said this. He said, God's working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Let me tell you, the desire that he wants to give you is to live a morally pure life, and he'll give you the power to do it. And he'll give you Pastor Kathy that'll do your weddings and, and keep you from sinning. I want you to bow your heads. I wore a red shirt so y'all wouldn't see me blushing no more. I want you to bow your heads. Listen, God gave you, he gave us sex. And properly used within a husband and wife is a gift. Used improperly, it destroys lives, marriages, children, self-esteem, and misery. God's way is always the best way. I want to give you an opportunity just where you're sitting to get back on track well, maybe where you're watching or whatever maybe you realize that you need to get serious about your thought life you, you thought these thoughts